everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, a podcast for anyone who wants to learn more about the current and future state of cannabis in Europe. Every episode, we talk to different business owners and cannabis specialists, making it easier for you to enter and better understand the cannabis industry. On this episode, we have the pleasure of having Michael Hennel, a Swedish hemp farmer, as a guest on the show. He has his own company called Magic Herb, which is actually a family-run business where they sell hemp and other plant-derived products. A few episodes back on episode 16, I spoke to John Hedström from Hulihemp, another Swedish hemp farmer, who told us of his experiences diving headfirst into the Swedish hemp world and his positive dealings with the local authorities and local government. Unfortunately, Michael did not have these same experiences, and on August 13th of this year, 2020, his hemp farm got raided by the police. Michael tells us his story of what happened, his theories on why it happened, and how he is now fighting back. Let this be a cautionary tale and one that highlights the risks still involved in the hemp industry here in Europe. Fortunately, there are people like Michael who are on the front line fighting for justice and fighting for better rules and regulations in regards to hemp and hemp cultivation. So, let's hear what Michael has to say. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello, Tom. I'm doing fine, calling in from a cold and rainy Sweden. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I mean, it's the same here, cold and rainy Denmark. We had our first day of snow last night, so uh, I think it's safe to say winter has arrived. Yeah, Santa's coming to town. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Santa is coming to town. So maybe you can start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you got into hemp farming. Well, cannabis has been a pleasure I've been enjoying since a very early age. And lately, I started to see the benefits with the medicinal values of the plant. Uh, haven't thought of it that way. I, I used to be stunned when I was young that we that used cannabis, we never got sick. And uh, now I know uh, the reason. But uh, three and a half, four years ago, my father got a cancer diagnosis. So uh, I started digging and digging and I found out that uh, cannabis seems to have a positive effect on getting rid of it or to live with it, or get rid of some of it. So I started looking into it. Then I wanted to grow my own, because I wanted to give him the best CBD and the best hemp possible. But I thought it was impossible in Sweden. When you go into the government's page and look, it sounds so complicated. It's almost ridiculous. But a friend of mine reached out and said, you know what, Michael, you don't need those eight acres and so on. So you just need to do this and that and then you're fine and you're good to go and i was like is that so easy ah well let's give it a try so the first summer was 2019 actually so we're quite new in the space we started a small 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 patch and trying to grow some hemp and it it turned out nice and we did it both for the medicinal values for families and friends and so but also as a form of activism, because Sweden has very repressive laws when it comes to cannabis in general, but hemp as well. There's a stigma here that's unbelievable. It's, I think it's one of the worst in the world. So yeah, you got into the world of hemp farming partly to help your father out, but also as a form of activism. That's pretty cool, because I mean, a lot of people talk about activism and, you know, maybe go out and protest a little, but you actually literally went and bought some land and started growing the plant yourself. 
Yes, yes. We already had the land. It's my mother's, so that part was quite easy. Because you're described as a family-run business, so that's quite nice that it's your parents' land and then, of course, your business. And I can imagine you're hoping that you'll be able to then pass it on into your own children now at some point. Yes, yes, uh, most definitely. That would, that would really be lovely because of the hemp being such a powerful plant for Mother Nature and our planet. So that's a dream for sure. But yes, so I mean, you've also got your hemp company, Magic Herb. So obviously you, you grow your own hemp, but you also produce your own uh, hemp products. So what hemp products do you actually have and sell? In the beginning, we aimed to, to create uh, CBD oils. I started doing that, but uh, in July 2019, there was this uh, high court case that ruled against CBD oils, making all CBD oils with just traces of THC. 0.01 would be narcotics, according to Swedish law. So we had to think otherwise and uh, just started to sell the flower as it is, uh, as a CBD bud, a premium bud. And we have tea as well. It feels like it's like a gray area as well because they're talking about this extraction. You could actually call tea a form of extraction because you add hot water and you taper with the raw material. But I don't know. I think tea is okay, actually. So we started focusing on the flowers and now then the THC-free extracts, mm -hmm. which are a full-spectrum product. It's a super nice product, but uh, we do it on uh, the Santika hemp. And when you uh, harvest it in a special time, you get so low amounts of THC so that the end product becomes uh, THC-free, even though it's a full-spectrum product. So, Okay, interesting. And that's because it's that specific variety cultivated at a specific time, so the THC level is just that low. Yeah, exactly. You harvest it in an early flowering stage, and the THC hasn't developed that much. But it's still a great product. It's filled with CBG and a little bit of CBD as well, but no THC. And that's the important uh, here in Sweden because you don't want to end up in jail. No, or getting into any trouble. And like you said, if they've made the limit so low to the point zero zero, I mean, that effectively just rules any CBD products out because there's usually always certain traces of THC. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about this raid. So unfortunately, your farm got raided by the police in the summer. I think it was on August 13th. So maybe you can tell us what happened exactly. Yes, we finally got to take a little vacation, having my mother to tend to the plants for five days. And we traveled away from our beloved plants, which I, ah, I regret it now. But we went on vacation on a Monday. And on Tuesday morning, my neighbor uh, gave me a call and said uh, my balcony door was open. And I was so sure I closed it and locked it. I checked two times. My wife checked a couple of times as well. And this is at our apartment in town, not at the farm itself on uh, the island. Which town is this? This is Kalmar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is strange. Yeah, it was really strange. And well, we thought... ah. The neighbor went in, she got a spare key and checked that nothing was stolen, the computers were left and everything, and it was like, oh, okay, maybe we forgot to uh, lock them. But we're both sure, 100%, because we have our stock here as well, so you don't want any thieves come and take it, so... 
We then just forgot about it. We've been having a great vacation. And on Thursday, my mother gave me a call. And she was like, oh, hello, son. I don't want to startle you or anything but <laughs> the, the po- <laughs> and ruin your vacation. But the police were here. And I was like, yes, that's okay, mama. You know, we're 100% transparent with the government and everything and all the papers and all the documents and everything is in order and it's the right seats and everything. So no worries. She was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, son, but, you know, it's just got this spooky feeling. Okay. And then just in the call, she was like, oh, now they're here again, three of them standing on the porch. I was like, mother, mother, let me talk to them. And she just click, hanged up on me in fear. So I was like, God damn, what's this all about? And for five or six hours, I tried to get a hold of her, but she didn't answer the phone and didn't answer my messages. And I was like, have they put my mom in custody? God. They could do it. They could do it if there's a suspect of narcotics. And uh, you don't know about Swedish police. They are quite uh, ignorant and uninformed when it comes to the differences. Mm Mm-hmm. But after six hours, she got me a message and she just said, they've taken each and every one of the plants. Oh, my God. They made a warrant and just took everything. And on the question when I said, but why didn't you uh, get them to just call me? And she said, I tried. And uh, I said that all the papers were in order, but they just yelled back at her own house. Yeah, they yelled back. There is no papers here. If he calls again, don't pick up the phone. That must have been scary, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was so uh, ill. Frightened. Yeah, so frightened that she had to go to my sister's house several miles away because, uh, yeah. That was too much. Too much. Do you think they did the raid intentionally while you were on holiday? Do you think they knew you were away at the time? Yeah, I've been thinking on uh, many scenarios because first they raided the farm. And then they raided our apartment in the town and took all the products, all the TSC-free oils and the ashwagandha and shaga, all the other nature stuff we have as well. And uh, someone was in our apartment on Monday night and forgot to close the door. So one theory I have is that some, I don't know who, some agent from somewhere maybe went inside, documented our products and took it for illegal products and gave this case to a district attorney that then on Thursday pushed the police to make a hasty decision and take all the plans. It seems like a setup, actually. But who knows? Who knows? It could be a coincidence as well, but... hmm. Yeah, it seems a little bit too coincidental, right? Yeah, too coordinated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why then? Because they know, they know. If I was on the farm, because I said this on social media, if they would have come when I was there, I had all the papers and everything to just stop them and a direct line to a lawyer and everything, so... Yeah, it would have been a lot harder. Yeah, we're going to make an example out of this ex-addict because I'm an ex-addict and have some felonies in my past, so... Just must have been so horrible. I mean, you're on holiday with the family and then to come back to see your, well, what must have felt like your life's work just all destroyed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I put in like a thousand man hours and every penny we had left. You know, we're not rich in any way. We don't have any savings or nothing. Yeah, we went all in on this and uh, it was terrible. And we were about to go home to get the kids prepared for school. 
but we had to go on the run because uh, I was wanted for uh, a serious drug charge, suspected of a serious drug charge. We had to go on the run for the weekend and we didn't get hold of any police or attorneys or, or nothing. But then on Monday, I got a hold of them. And this is also a strange part because when I finally got a hold of one police and a district attorney, both of them has just gotten the case thrown at them on Monday morning when they come back from vacation. So they were like as shocked as I was. I haven't still gotten in touch with the one responsible for making the decision to raid our farm. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Have you received any sort of compensation or have you gotten anything back yet? I mean, what's happening now? Still waiting. I talked to the district attorney yesterday because they took my computer and everything. But he said yesterday, ah, they were not done with the computer. They had some result from this laboratory that's checking the hemp and the products, but not everyone. So ah, I told him uh, it feels terrible that you're stalling the process. And he was, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not stalling anything here. You shouldn't think of it like that. But it feels like it because it's been four and a half months and nothing happens. I've been to one interrogation. And even the police, after the interrogation, said, oh, well, I see you have all your things together. And it feels like this was a bit too hasty decision-making here. It sounds like there's even discrepancies or disagreements within the local authorities themselves. Again, it must be frustrating because, I mean, also they're messing with people's careers and people's lives here. They sure are. How's the farm looking now? Have you managed to bounce back a little bit? No, not at all. But the hemp community in Sweden been uh, such a blessing for us. We have two other hemp farmers. One of them went official and said, Michael, come to my place here in Umberg. His name is David Appelgren. He's uh, the head of the Swedish uh, Hemp uh, Association. Association, yes. And said, uh, you can come up to my place and take as many plants as they took. And the same with Another farmer, Malinda Bandsdotter at Ölvsgården down in uh, Skåne, close to Denmark, invited us as well so we could harvest some and, yeah, be able to make some products. So we have a little bit of tea and a little bit of flowers and that today, but it's not the same product because our main objective was seedless buds and... Uh, we managed to get a female culture and the ones we got then, uh, I'm not unthankful in any way, but you know, there's a quite different between seedless flowers and uh, flowers with seeds. So, And of course, you've put a lot of work, effort and time into creating your own little babies, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so nice to hear that there is a hemp community there and that you're being very supportive towards one another. And, and that is really kind that they were there to offer you some of their products to help you keep going. Yes. But of course, especially as a farmer, I can imagine you are very proud of your own crops and what you have produced. And you probably have a certain idea of what you want. Like you said, you wanted seedless yes. buds. Yeah. So I guess you almost have to start from scratch again now. That's a fact. And I so wanted to see how they would have developed because they were looking so healthy and so strong. Uh, I had the same seeds as a colleague in the business, another farmer, and uh, our plants looked five or six times as healthy at the time. And we were planting them at the same time as well. So we were <laughs> so, uh, we so wanted to see those babies grow up, but we just go at it again, stronger, hungrier and smarter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to John Hedstrom from Hulihamp. 
I think it was on episode yeah. 16, who's also a Swedish hemp farmer. And he actually only very recently became one. And he actually compared being a hemp farmer in Sweden to being on the front line at war, almost. <laughs> That's a good analogy. It, it sure is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I also found it quite interesting because he also said the local authorities, at least for him, were very helpful when he was actually setting up the farm. They actually gave him a lot of useful information. They came and they were very interested and they seemed even curious. So it feels like there's a lack of communication between like local governments and the police force and maybe even perhaps the national government too. Do you think that's the case? Yes, yes, 100% so because this is not only me. We have this other hemp farmer in the northern part that's been fully transparent with the government and he even got a permit to grow inside with uh, lead lights and everything. But uh, nevertheless, the police came and just took his equipment away and everything. And he had all the papers in order as well. So they have to communicate with each other. It's in plain sight when you read the documents. They have to communicate, but they aren't communicating. There's like only one that's filled with knowledge around the hemp on the whole board of agriculture in Sweden. The other ones don't know anything about the hemp. So it's like a lottery when you're starting to grow hemp. If you get the right connection with the government, it's workable. Everything you can build together. But if you get one filled with stigma and ignorance, they're like, no, you can't do this. You can't grow less than eight acres. So there's surely a lack of communication between them. And I've said publicly that this here, it ends with us. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to put all my strength and effort into this one and uh, get the ball rolling because this is not okay. You know, this happened before and we should already have a system that makes sure these kind of things won't happen. But it's happened two times this year. What I know of, I recently got a call of a Danish fella that's also a hemp farmer and he said it's happened to him as well this summer. They came and took the hemp and three times they lab tested it and it was uh, 0.00. And then after two or three months, they called him back and we had a check again. And now it's uh, 0.54. You are a suspect of a serious drug charge here. So I don't know. It's, it's a fishy business. It's like John said, it's like being in a war zone. But I guess we just have to uh, try and do our best to uh, bring knowledge to each and everyone. The government, as well as the police and the Board of Agriculture. And the people as well, so the people can start talking amongst each other. Because everyone has this built-in fear of uh, hemp and cannabis. But as soon as they read and get the right knowledge, the truth, they're all like, oh, oh, okay, so this was all a big uh, lie to scare people. Okay, I have to rethink this. And everyone is positive in the end if they just get the right knowledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also think hemp is kind of a nice way to start the conversation because, well, you can use it to make rope, you can use it for all these industrial applications, you know, people are like, oh, that's actually pretty interesting and pretty cool. And then you can start to slowly, you know, integrate arguments of the medical benefits it can have. There's just so much good it can do. Exactly. This plant is, it's the best. It's mind-blowing, all the things she can do. Yeah. So what is your next plan of action are you planning on going to court how are you planning on fighting this back 
Yeah, first of all, we, we need uh, the lab reports to come back and just confirm that it was hemp 100%. I pressed charges against the police, uh, but the district attorney just threw them away. He didn't even read it. He just uh, threw them and said the police have done nothing wrong. But the next step is to uh, press charges again against that decision that the district attorney threw away. And we're also going to the European High Court. And we're going to see to it that, first of all, they need to pay for what they've done. They actually destroyed a crop worth somewhere between 2 and 16 millions if it were a good yield. So they can't just go away with this. It's too much. But I have the best lawyers uh, in Sweden on my side. So And they're really specialized on these kind of cases when the police uh, have done wrong against hemp entrepreneurs and hemp farmers. So we feel really secure that it's going to be good in the end. But it's a long process. This will probably take six years or something. That is a very long process. But it's great that you're doing it, though, because someone has to do it. Someone has to fight back. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, you hope this doesn't happen to anyone else or that it doesn't happen to you again. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I said, that's a, that's a lot of money. I mean, I guess you were talking about in Swedish krona, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's some serious, serious capital just to be taken away. It is, it is. We had an open contract with an American business that was going to buy the whole lot if it turned out good enough. So, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. But you know what? A crisis like this is also a blessing because I feel more focused and more uh, hungry to really take this fight. And like I said earlier, we started this as a form of activism. So I guess I kind of projected this myself, but I didn't want it to be like this because the business was booming and I have forgot about the activism. I've started to work more clever and... <laughs> but what you think, you attract. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So don't speak too soon. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I noticed you've managed to get quite a lot of coverage. How did that happen? Was that your doing or did that just happen naturally? I got a little bit of help uh, with a colleague in the business as well that's good on press releases and helped me with some contacts and so. But then it started rolling. Uh, we made like one uh, Facebook press release and it went out to 120,000 people. And, and then people started to contact me and, and Hemp Today was the first one to make a reportage on this. And the Swedish uh, head TV station was quite scared in the beginning. And oh, they were like, when are the lab reports coming? And But uh, in the end, they made a decision to make a reportage, uh, even though the lab reports was not done because they could see between the lines that this wasn't any marijuana grower. It was just a casual hemp farmer. So, I mean, what advice or warnings, should I say, would you give anyone who is thinking of maybe becoming a, a hemp farmer in Sweden? Make sure to contact the police at the very beginning and tell them what you are doing. Inform them. And uh, you know what? I actually got this advice, but I didn't listen to it. Other hemp farmers said, make sure you contact the police. And I was like, well, but I contacted these two departments. They should contact each other. But yeah, they should, but they don't always do. Yeah, yeah. So tell them at the very beginning, this is what I'm doing. Should I expect any problems? Everything's above water. Mm. Yeah, try and be as transparent, as clear as possible. I can imagine, though, when you're starting, there's just so many different elements that you've got to take under consideration and so many things to do. Yeah, I think you feel that it's safe 
to make assumptions that the government is on your side, but you really can't. You really have to make everyone aware of what you're doing from the very beginning, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But I thought I did that, you know, because I, I'm strong on social media and in the local news as well. Here in uh, the city we live in, we've been telling about the hemp farm for two years, even before we started growing the newspaper, we're covering it. But you can't be too sure that everyone gets the information, so you have to shout it out. And maybe also print, uh, make some signs on the farm where you have the documents from the Board of Agriculture and everything on print, laminated. So they can't make these decisions. Yeah, I guess you have to think to that level, really, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, may I really try and have as many defenses in place as possible. Yes, we had a similar case in 2000 uh, with this farmer Ulf Hammarström in Skåne here in Sweden. And they took four acres of hemp from him. But he fought back as well. And after 10 years, I believe it was 2010... The High Court in the European Union uh, voted in favor of Ulf Hammarström and the police had to give him back the hemp that was 10 years old and then he got 10,000 Swedish kroner for the four acres as well. So he won, but yeah. He didn't get rewarded very well, no. No. Oh, yes. No, no. It's definitely um, an uphill struggle, I can imagine. So uh, an uphill battle. It is. Yeah, but... There has to be someone doing it, so thank you for being that person. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually quite enjoyable uh, being that person as well, most of the time. But then sometimes you get scared and get low in your energy. But I have such a great community behind me, and they're all sending so much love and support uh, each and every day. So uh, it's truly a pleasure doing this, actually. Great. Well, well actually, I have one last question, which I ask all my guests. If you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently? Yes. I would see to it that the police were informed as well. I have to say, because I really wanted to see those babies. Grow and bloom. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So where can our listeners find out more about you, your company, Magic Herb, and your products? Yes, we are uh, online, of course, and you find us on uh, Instagram under magicherb.se and uh, through our webpage, which www.magicherb.se. And then we're on Facebook as well under Magic Herb, but there's quite a lot other Magic Herbs on Facebook, but <laughs> that's the way you can reach out. Okay, great. Well... Thank you, Michael, so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tom. It was my pleasure. It was very interesting, and um, I do hope the future is kinder on you and your farm than the past has been. <laughs> <laughs> it will be 100%, so we're going to make sure of it. Great, great. Well, thank you. You take care. Same. Same to you. Bye, Tom. So, that was Michael Hennel from Magic Herb, who just told us his cautionary tale of hemp farming in Sweden. Make sure to check out his website, magicherb.se, and also his social media. Also, please do remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you hear, and do check out our website at www.smellslikebusiness.com. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day, everybody.
like business.